Amen. Uh, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 9. I love the way that the Lord is in the details, and He most certainly, I believe, laid this out accordingly so that we would be on this section of Scripture today, which is appropriate for Father's Day. And uh, you, may, you may wonder at first, how does this message in this event in scripture have anything to do with Father's Day, but you'll see it has a lot to do with Father's and, and Father's Day in general. Um, every good story, every good movie, every good book uh, has some, some very important elements in it. You know, there's always going to be a, a hero, there's a villain, you usually have some type of a conflict, you know, as the plot develops, you want to, there's a little bit of element of surprise there, there's always a little bit of scandal in a really good um, story or a really good uh, book or movie. And then also there's, a, there's the, the conquering victory at the end. We, we all like a good ending. Uh, I think last time I looked at some, some numbers, uh, you know, I think like 85 to 90 percent of people prefer a happy ending when it comes to our stories. And, and the reason that is is because God made us that way because his story is a story that has a what? It has a happy ending. It has a good Ending, and we know that uh, because we've read these. We've read the book. We know that God has declared the end from the beginning. We know how the story ends. We know that Jesus comes. He is the conquering Savior. He will rule and reign from Jerusalem on the throne of His Father David forever and ever. And we who are His children will be in His kingdom forever. And he, there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and suffering and pain and death. And all of those things will be wiped away. And He will make everything new. And that is the the good news of the end of the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so. So we know that this story in Genesis chapter 9 has some of those and many of those very same elements in it. And you'll see this morning that there's some interesting things that we can derive from the scriptures that may open this text up to you a little bit more. And in the end, you're going to see that there's a good ending. There's a happy ending. And that's what's most important. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 9, I'm going to begin... In verse 18, Genesis 9, 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Interesting. Little say this too about a little insert there, and you're going to see why here in just a minute. Why is that significant? Every, listen, I'm going to say this too about Scripture. If it's strange in the Bible, it's probably important. I'm serious. Take, take that. If there's something that you're reading in the Bible that's just like, man, that's bizarre. That's just kind of out there. This is strange. I don't, I don't fully understand it when you read it at surface level and you're like, there's something else here. It's probably there for a reason. God includes everything in his inspired word for a reason. And you're going to see here in this passage of Scripture, there's a reason why Canaan is kind of put front and center in this passage of Scripture. But it is a very strange Scripture. It's a very bizarre passage. You'll see that in just a moment, but it's important. So look at what it says. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, again reiterated, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. 
Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. And when Noah awoke from his wine and knew that what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan. Wait, wait, I thought it was Ham that did that. He didn't curse Ham. He said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants, basically a slave of slaves, shall he be to his brothers. And he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years and all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. I'll tell you why I love Scripture. The one of the reasons why I love Scripture is because God's Word never embellishes the truth, but it often portrays the heroes of faith in a very embarrassing light. Now, if we're revisionist historians, in other words, if we want to take what ha- the reality and the truth of history and we want to paint ourselves in a much different and a better light, we're going to embellish what happened truly and we're going to make ourselves out to be better than we really were. That's what man does. We embellish history. We, we want to be remembered for all the good things that we have done. We, don't ne- we never want to be remembered for the negative things that we have done. The Scripture doesn't do, do, doesn't do that. The Scripture tells it like it is. It doesn't try to paint uh, these heroes of the faith in a, in a different light or a different picture. It doesn't try to sugarcoat the truth. And so this is one of the great validations and the truth of the truth and integrity of Holy Scripture is that it does not ignore the reality that God uses fallen and flawed individuals who fail miserably, miserably and sin greatly. Amen. Now, one reason for that... The obvious, Mr. Captain Obvious here, so we're all that God has to work with, right? I mean, when, when it, can't, can't you imagine? I think sometimes I know the Lord has a sense of humor. You know the Lord sometimes throughout history. He has to just look down upon the human race and say, really? Is that all I got to work with here? Because all of us are just a bunch of dysfunctional hoodlums. We're a flawed group of people. We're all fallen and sinful and flawed. And that's just who we are as sinners in our sinful nature. Of course, there's only one who has ever been perfect in his name is Jesus. Thank God for the perfection of Jesus Christ. But it is interesting that the Bible does not try to sugarcoat the truth. Think about some of the... He- now listen, these are the heroes of the faith. Abraham. He was called the father of faith. We see Abraham hiding behind his own wife, Sarah, giving her to two different, to Pharaoh once and to Abimelech once. He gave his wife to two different kings because he was a coward. He was afraid of his own life and he basically gave his wife away. Not once, twice. He's called the father of faith. Jacob. His name means schemer, deceiver. Jacob was a schemer. He schemed with his mother, Rebecca, to steal Esau's birthright. He basically went in and lied to his blind father, and he said, listen, I'm Esau, when he went in to to fool Isaac, and he stole his birthright and blessing. This is Jacob, whose name became Israel. He was a liar, a schemer. 
Joseph thought that he was the privileged child, and so he was the father's favorite. Again, Jacob had a favorite son, Joseph, and his other brothers hated him for it. They threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. These are the 12 sons of Jacob who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Moses murdered an Egyptian and then skipped town as a fugitive. This is Moses. Elijah, Jeremiah, two of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, both of them suffered from depression and had suicidal thoughts in the midst of their darkest hours. King David, who was a man after God's own heart, we see him scheming to kill Uriah because he wanted to take his wife and did so as Uriah was murdered on the front battle lines and he took his wife in an adulterous relationship and had conceived a child with her. King David. Solomon, man, we don't even have time to go into the exploits of Solomon. I mean, the worst thing about Solomon, yes, he had this insatiable desire for the pleasures of the world, but eventually he led the nation of Israel into pagan worship of false gods and idolatry, setting up pagan altars all over the land of Israel. King Solomon, he wrote scripture. The disciples, how many times do we read about the disciples? They consistently doubted Jesus. They fought amongst themselves. And at the Lord's most desperate hour when he needed his friends the most, where do we see the disciples? They're gone. They scatter. They leave him. Now, here's what we need to understand. These people who are people of faith in relationship with God, they still had to suffer the what? The consequences of their actions. Forgiven, yes. Suffer consequences. If you go back and read their life story, they suffered many consequences because of what they had done. And here we have Noah. You know, I can imagine, you know, they get off the ark. They're trying to set up camp. They want to kind of get settled in. He's like, hey, I got a good idea. I'm going to plant a vineyard. Becomes a man of the soil. He plants a vineyard. Man, he gets a good crop. He says, you know what? I'm going to give this a little time and ferment some of my grapes. Gets him a nice little batch of wine, vintage. And Noah's not just having a casual glass of wine with his meal, guys. Noah is hammered. (laughs) Hammered drunk. To the extent that the, the, the man passes out naked in his tent, exposed for anybody to see, right? Very consequential actions here of Noah. And so the Bible could have easily skipped over all these things. The Bible could have easily said, you know, that's not who these men really were. You know, these were perfect men. They were were great and everything. No, that's not the way the Bible portrays the heroes of our faith. They were real people with real flaws and real struggles. And we had suffered real consequences. And listen, here's the thing about the scripture. There are positive examples in the scripture. There are what? Negative examples in the scripture. We need to learn from both. I think about little brothers and little sisters who have big brothers and big sisters in the house. If you're in the house and you got a big brother or big sister, don't be stupid like them. <laughs> if you're a little brother or a little sister, you can learn from the mistakes of your older siblings and not have to make the same mistakes. You can learn from negative consequences just like we can learn from positive consequences. And that's what we have here in the scripture. So just for the record, I do want to make it clear that getting drunk is never a good idea. It's never fun. It never ends well. Getting drunk is never a good idea. Now, let me just give you my little side note on alcohol. It's a great opportunity to do that, right? This is always a big issue in our culture. Where do we stand on alcohol? I think it's appropriate because Noah gets drunk. 
Was it a sin for Noah to plant a vineyard and have a glass of wine? It was not. Was it a sin for Noah to get drunk? Absolutely. Drunkenness 100% of the time is always a sin. The other thing that becomes a problem with alcohol is that anytime we alter our what? If you alter your mind with anything else other than the controlling power of the Holy Spirit, it is a what? It's a sin. So if you're seeking to alter your mind in some way, whether it be alcohol or drugs or food or TV or whatever it may be, you can do it with many different things and substances, but that is a sin. That's when it crosses over into sin. The other thing about alcohol is that if you're seeking to find peace and relief and to cope with difficulty and turn to alcohol before turning to the Lord, then that is a sin. That is effectively idolatry because you're putting something else in the place of the thing that only God is supposed to do. Now, the Bible is clear that we are free under Christ. We're free to drink alcohol. I believe Jesus drank alcohol. He sat with tax collectors and sinners. I do believe he shared wine. I do believe he drank alcohol. I do. I think the scriptures are clear about that. But whether we eat or drink, we do it unto the what? The glory of God, as long as it does not violate your conscience or you do not have conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the other thing. Anytime we run the risk of causing someone else to stumble, if there's ever any doubt, just say what? Just say no. As as mature believers, we need to have enough... uh, um, awareness about who we're around and who we're with so that if we think we're going to cause anybody else to stumble, somebody that may have struggled with alcoholism or has alcoholism in their family or whatever it may be, if there's ever any doubt, just don't do it. We have the freedom to do it, but it's better not to exercise our freedom to cause a weaker brother to stumble and never use alcohol if it's going to hurt your Christian witness. So those are the principles... Since, since Noah's knee-deep in this thing today, I thought it would be good to go ahead and break it down to say those are the principles of how we would address something like the use of alcohol. Number two, let's get a little deeper into this. Upon closer examination, Ham's sin against his father Noah most likely was sexual in nature. There's something here. There's more that to the story that meets the eye. As I read this, you read commentary, you read different scholars, you read different Bible teachers. Look, guys, there's a wide variety of interpretations of this text. I'm going to tell you I'm probably 95 to 98% sure that there's something else going on in this passage than just the fact that Ham stumbled into his father's tent and happened to see his father laying there naked and ran out to make fun of him with his brothers. And you're going to see why I believe that in just a second. Turn to Leviticus chapter 18. See, the Bible is very specific in the language that it used. So here's what happened. Ham comes into his father's tent. Again, never a good idea to get drunk because Noah should have never been in this situation to begin with. He's exposed. He's drunk. He's unconscious. He's unaware of what's happening. Ham goes in and it says this, guys. Pay attention. It says, Ham saw his father's nakedness. That that phrase was used for a reason. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Moses wrote the book of Leviticus. He's the same author. He's using this language to connect us to the book of Leviticus. So let's turn to Leviticus 18. And let's read this. Leviticus 18, verse 6. 
None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover their what? Nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Now, guys, listen to me. This is not just talking about seeing someone naked. This is about sexual sin. So there's, again, this is the language. Look at what he says. Verse 8, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. Again, you should not uncover the nakedness of your sister, of your daughter, your mother's daughter. It goes on and on and on. You shall not cover, uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister. She is your mother's relative. It goes on about close relatives. And these are pro- prohibited sexual relationships that the Word of God puts in here for a reason. You shall not uncover the nakedness um, of a woman and of her daughter. You shall not take your son's daughter. Again, you can go on and on and on and on about this. Now, let's look at Leviticus 20.11. Turn over to Leviticus, Leviticus 20. Same thing, punishment for sexual immorality. Now listen to this. If a man commits adultery with his wife or neighbor, both the adulterer and adulteress shall surely be put to death under the law. Listen, if a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And even on down later in here, it talks about, in verse 17, if a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or mother, he sees her nakedness and she sees his nakedness. It is a disgrace. They shall be cut off from the sight of the children of their people. You see the language here in Leviticus. It's talking about seeing someone's nakedness or uncovering their nakedness. And that's something happened here with Ham and his father Noah that I believe was sexual in nature. Now listen, again, some reject that altogether. I understand there's differing interpretations. Some say this was nothing sexual at all, that it was just simply he just dishonored his father and made fun of him. I don't think the curse fits the crime, though. Because as you're going to see here in just a second, the curse of Ham, the curse of Canaan, was so severe that it had generational implications and impacts for many, many, many years to come. Some propose that maybe Ham violated his own father in some way. I'll tell you what I think happened. This is just my interpretation. 95% sure. I think Ham did something with his own mother. Because the Bible says that uncovering a person, a father's nakedness, is the same thing as having some type of prohibited relationship with the father's wife. So in my mind, Noah's passed out drunk. He's not aware of what's going on. Well, I'm pretty sure Noah's wife was in there with him. And I think Ham did something perverse with his own mother. Now, I know that's probably difficult for some of us to swallow, but I believe that that's what's happening here. And what's interesting is if you continue to read through Scripture, you'll see other bizarre stories that result in, in, the, in a generational uh, group of people that become enemies of Israel. We'll see that in just a minute. One that comes to mind is Lot and his own two daughters. Genesis 19, who did something very similar. They got, they got their own father, what? Drunk. They laid with their own father. And then they had children by him, which became Moab and Ammon, who became two of the primary enemy people of Israel. 
Very, very important that we understand what's happening here. Now, I need to say something. There's a good chance that one in three people in this room have been abused. Taken advantage of, violated, terrible. Some of you have never told anybody. Some of you are, are, have buried that hurt and that pain in your heart for years and years and years. Some of you are getting eaten upside down and inside out because you've never been able to find the healing that you need. Listen to me, guys. This is one of the greatest epidemics of our day. There is sexual abuse and molestation happening all over the place. It's happening in churches. It's happening in schools. It's happening in your homes. It's happening by your neighbors. It's happening by... And here's the worst thing about it. Most of the time, 90% of the time, it happens by someone who is what? Very close to you, a, a family member, a friend, a neighbor. Listen to me, I need to say this. Number one, only Jesus Christ offers the healing for your heart that you need. You've got to be able to talk that through. You've got to be able to, to share that with someone to release the guilt and the burden that you may have from being taken advantage of and being hurt and offended in such a terrible way. But listen to me, this is very important. For the people that have hurt you in that way, by God's grace and with God's help, you can what? You can forgive them. But let me say this, that does not mean you got to be reconciled to them. Because some people say, well, if I forgive them, then that means where everything's okay and everything just goes back to normal. No, that is not what the Bible says. You can forgive somebody, you can turn them loose and set them and turn them over to God, but you do not have to interact with them anymore. You never have to trust them again. You never have to be around them again. You never have to be reconciled to them. Those are two different things. Some sins are so serious and so severe, guys, that it's just not worth the risk to trust that person again. Amen. I'm telling you, it's very important we understand that. Now, how's that for a Father's Day message? This is heavy, guys, but that's what you're dealing with in this room today. I know you are. I know many of you are. It becomes a generational sin in many families where it's repeated over and over and over again. So guys, we need to know how to deal with this in a very healthy and a biblical way. Number three, Noah's pronouncement of both blessing and cursing carries significant weight as the patriarch of the father. Now we read the cursing of Noah, but he also gives a blessing. And here's something that we have to understand, guys. If you're the father in a biblical context of a patriarchal system, your word carries weight. Here in our culture today, fathers have been emasculated and we have been completely stripped of our, uh, you know, our authority in the family. And so we don't have that system anymore, that, that, that identity in the home anymore where what a father does and how he leads and what he says, it matters and it's very significant to the family. And when you gave a blessing as a father, it meant everything because a father in a relationship with God who prophetically speaks a blessing over his children, guys, that is what happened that's what came to pass. So you waited as a son to or a daughter to receive the blessing of your father because basically a father is pronouncing his prophecy, his prophetic destiny over you, and that is what will happen. Now, fathers in the room today, think about this. We're called to be prophets of our home, the priest, the king, protectors, providers. But the one thing we're not called to be is perfect. And I think so many fathers completely quit and give up because they think, I can't be what? 
You don't have to be perfect. That's Jesus' job. We just have to be faithful with what he has given us and to be serious about the, the responsibilities and the role that God has given us in the home. So Noah and his blessing and his cursing was very, very significant. And so what he said went. In other words, when, the, when Noah spoke a blessing over his children, it was just as if who was speaking? It was just as if the Lord himself were speaking. That's how the system of the family is supposed to be set up. And so there's very, something very significant here about Noah's blessing to and cursing of his children and grandchildren. Number four, the consequences of the curse of Canaan became a, become a primary thread that is woven throughout the scriptures. Now this is what's interesting. Why did, the, why did Noah curse Canaan and not Ham? Well, the first thing we got to figure out is this. Was Canaan even alive at the time that this happened? Now, if we give Noah time to plant a vineyard and harvest grapes and ferment wine, I, I would assume that there's at least several years had passed since this event in the Scriptures happened. Several years. But Ham had several sons. Canaan was his fourth-born son. He also had sons like Cush and Egypt. So I'm looking at this story, and here's the way I look at it. Either Canaan was already alive, and Noah cursed Ham's son as a result of his sin, or Canaan was not yet born, and Noah had the prophetic vision to curse a future-born son of Ham because of his sin. I don't know, but there's one other possibility. There's one author named Darnell Percival, and he said maybe what happened is that if, if this was some type of incestuous relationship between Ham and his own mother, maybe the fruit of that relationship was Canaan. I don't know. I'm just saying it's very interesting to think about because as we begin to look at Canaan, when you look at what Canaan represents in the Scriptures, think about it. Canaan became the father of almost all the wicked people groups in the Bible. Canaan was the father of all the giant clans in the Bible. Remember when we were talking about the Nephilim and the giants in Genesis chapter 6? Canaan was the father of the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. These were all the wicked enemies who had conquered and entered into the promised land. And so the sin of Canaan and the sin of Ham's son Egypt are connected to the origination and the perpetuation of sexual immorality throughout the Old Testament Scripture. Now listen to me, guys. This is what's so important. I just read to you from Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 when the Lord's saying, don't be like the other nations who practice these things. And in Leviticus 18, verse 3, listen to what the Lord says. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, Ham's son, Egypt, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, Ham's son, Canaan, to which I'm bringing you, you shall not walk in their ways. What that means, guys, is that the people, the descendants of Canaan, the descendants of Ham, the descendants of Egypt, the descendants of Nimrod, all of these became wicked, idolatrous, pagan people groups who indulged in all forms of perversion and immorality, which makes sense because if their father did it, then it's more than likely that their sons did it too because like father, like son. That's why I think there's something more to the story. But i got to give you the good news now. The good news is that through Jesus Christ, 
All the nations of the earth have been blessed. Now, guys, look at Genesis 9. Look at verse 26. Don't miss this. Noah cursed Canaan, but who did Noah bless? Look closely. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. He did bless Shem and Japheth secondarily, but who did Noah bless? He blessed the Lord because the Lord is the great provider, sustainer, the only one who is perfect in all of His ways. And it is necessary for us to understand that this idea, guys, listen to me, of dwelling in the tents of Shem should provoke an image to you because Jesus Christ, look, the tent was a dwelling place. The tent was the tabernacle. The tent was the place where the Lord came down to commune with His people where He would be their God and they would be His people and be in a relationship with Him. And he said, blessed be the God of Shem. He said, may you dwell in the tents of Shem. When Jesus took on flesh, it says that he did what? He tabernacled. He dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And then Jesus said, for all of you, don't let your hearts be troubled, because if I go to prepare a what? a place for you. I will come back to take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be also. You see, Jesus is preparing a dwelling place for you and for me and that in Jesus Christ, all the nations of the earth are blessed. And guys, that's what this whole passage is really all about is that God is blessed because he has provided a way for us to dwell in the tents of the God of Shem, not just for a day, not just for a year, but forever. As David said, may I dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. Amen. Guys, as our worship team comes up, we're going to sing one more song. There's a significance to the line of Shem. Because if you keep reading in Genesis, you find out that Shem, uh, Shem's grandson to the 10th degree was another man. Does anybody guess his name? Abram. You see, it was the line of Shem that produced the people of God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And why is Abram so very important is because of this. In Galatians 3, this is what Paul says. He says, through the gospel, God proclaimed the gospel to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. He says, so Christ Jesus, who is the offspring of Abraham, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Because there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither, no, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That through faith in Jesus Christ, we get to participate in all the promises that God made to Shem, to his grandson Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the children of Israel. And we as Gentiles who didn't have a hope in the world, we've been brought into the tents of the living God Amen. to dwell with him forever.
Now, guys, I'm going I'm to ask you this question. What's, what's the greatest blessing? This is a blessing, right? The Father's blessing. What's the greatest blessing of God? You get Him. Let me say that again. What's the greatest blessing that God can give us? It's Himself. We get to have a relationship with the God of the universe, the King of glory. Guys, if you're here today, I want you to know that the greatest blessing of God is is Himself and that by faith in Jesus Christ, you get to have and enter into a relationship with the Father through Christ and that you're granted the greatest gift, which is to dwell with God forever and ever, which is eternal life that can only be provided through God and in His Son, Jesus Christ. Guys, I don't want you to walk away from here today. Fathers, sons, daughters, sisters, whoever you are, make sure that you have with Jesus Christ. And you get to have the greatest blessing of all, which is Himself forever and ever. That's the good news. Guys, I want to pray for us, and we're going to do some business with the Lord, and we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, you need to pray, you need counsel, I'll be up here. If you want to do business with the Lord right where you are, this has been kind of a heavy day, the Lord's Supper, kind of a heavy message, but there's good news out there, and I pray that you would turn to Him in faith. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You so much for the good news of Jesus Christ that You have preserved for Yourself a faithful line so that through Your Son we may enter into a relationship with You that we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that we will be able to dwell in the tents of the God of Shem, and that you have provided the way for sinners to be reconciled to a holy God. I pray for anyone in this room today, Lord, if they do not know you, maybe they just need to confess, maybe they need counsel, maybe they want to know what it means to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, I pray that they would take this opportunity and take advantage of it today in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.